Hi, and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. Today, we're going to be talking about vaccines and various talking points about vaccines. But before we get into that, I'd like to remind you to hit like and subscribe. Hello and welcome to this new special edition of Pro Pharma Talks. My name is Alex Hernandez. Alongside me as always, Dr. Craig Stern. And we brought in a real specialist on our topic today, Mark Wahlberg, who's a medical Dr. science Mark doctor. Mark Wahlberg, I apologize. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> okay. Dr. Mark Wahlberg, from, he's a medical science liaison at GSK. He's also associate clinical professor at UOP, and he's a travel health certified to talk about this topic today. Um, our topic is anti-vaxxers. Yes, we're going to focus on the talking points of uh, a lot of these anti-vaxxers have about vaccinations, right? Yeah. Right? So, okay. Dr. Stern, you want to share a couple words first? Yeah, um, we decided to do this. Uh, Dr. Wahlberg came to us, uh, I don't know how long, a year ago or something like that, to talk about vaccines mm -hmm. and talk about some of the, the uh, fundamental concepts of vaccines. So we thought we'd bring it back because there's so much discussion these days about uh, vaccinations, about diseases that we thought had been um, relatively or completely annihilated and now they're back. Right. Issues with regard to measles that's back um, and, and concerns that there are about um, vaccinations. So if we may, um, I'll start out with a question um, and then um, Mark can follow up on it. I guess the fundamental question that we have is, is this purely a United States phenomenon, or is this something that's happening all over the world? Sure. I mean, great, great question. I think the best way to answer that is to first look globally at what people think of vaccines. Um, in general, most of the world is begging for the vaccines that we have, whether it's measles. Uh, we've seen actually polio, one of the strains eradicated, possibly another strain on the verge. Uh, which you still don't really hear anything about in the media because there's only one of the three strains really left circulating now. Uh, but there have been similar movements in other countries. Um, Australia has had a very strong anti-vaccine movement. Um, in the meantime, they're on the verge of seeing herd immunity to HPV because of the vaccination progress that's been made in that country. And so they're seeing even in unvaccinated individuals, the rate of HPV vaccine is going down or HPV virus is decreasing in the population and it's attributed to vaccination campaigns. That's the only thing that could actually be causing that. Mm. Uh, when you get to pl places, other places in the world that are maybe, maybe a little bit more unstable, uh, especially when it comes to things like polio, one of the main roadblocks we have for polio right now is just political instability and the inability to vaccinate certain people. Uh, you may hear about the, you know, the, the clean water hypothesis that if we could just have clean water for everybody, we'd eradicate a lot of this. And it's simply not true because when we've had clean water, polio still flourishes. And in certain countries, take India, for example, they've actually been declared polio free, not because they have any ability to have clean water and sewage treatment plants for their entire country, but because people went around and vaccinated all of their population and were able to eliminate polio in that country. You use the word herd immunity, and for people that are listening, I think we should define, I've used the term in other uh, 
in other conversations, but we should uh, let people know what herd immunity is and how that impacts what we're talking about. Sure. So the basics of herd immunity is that if you vaccinate a certain percent of the population or a certain amount of the herd, it will actually protect unvaccinated members. And what we know about most diseases is there's a certain amount of infectivity or ability for, say, a virus to infect multiple people after a single person has been infected with it. Uh, measles is a very good example of this. Um, measles has a very high chance of infecting up, upwards of 20 people if you have a single person who is infected by that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with just the, the virus itself. Uh, it can stay in a room for two hours. Once somebody has coughed out some virus, it will stay circulating in the air for two hours. Uh, polio is very resistant to degradation in the wild. And that's why it, a single infected person could infect upwards of 100 people, they've estimated, um, in certain situations. Uh, so what we try to do with herd immunity is we try to calculate what percent of the population needs to be vaccinated in order to stop continuous spread of that. So you might see um, measles, we typically try to hit 95% of the population covered with the vaccine because that will attenuate or stop any spread of it. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing right now is in little pockets of individuals, if that drops below that, we see continued spread. And that's what we're seeing in the states even right now. Um, and in many other countries, there's still sustained measles transmission. It's interesting to me, and I keep wondering, um, uh, people talk about their religious views or personal views or agendas that they have against vaccines. And I often wonder uh, why people or the, there's not PR campaigns that says, here's what the world looked like in the 1950s with polio. Here's what the world looked like when there was measles epidemics and chickenpox and and mumps and tetanus and smallpox. all these things. Smallpox <laughs> kills half yeah. the population in Europe, you know. So you wonder why there aren't um, PR campaigns that says, is this the world you want to go back to? Well, and the answer in a lot of those cases, uh, you know, the, the rhetoric that's spoken by the anti-vaccine groups, a lot of the time is they say yes we would like to go back to that. We would wanna see people getting these infectious diseases because there's a belief that getting this wild type virus is better than getting a vaccine. And I think this is where the data really speak for themselves because we're not seeing people dying from zoster, chickenpox. We're not seeing people dying from measles as frequently. We're not seeing people in iron lungs from polio. We're not seeing smallpox, even influenza. I mean, recall influenza stopped a world war because of the severity in the 1900s. Uh, and it's the same one that has now come back and is our 2009 swine flu. That's about the same virus. And yet we're not seeing that mortality anymore. So the argument I have against it is I say, no, my job as a healthcare provider is to prevent disease and death. There's mm -hmm. actually no evidence that a wild type infection confers any benefit over vaccination. In many cases, like let's take measles for instance, 
there is a much higher rate of lifelong sequelae or consequences of that virus compared to the vaccine. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean the vaccine is 100% safe, and anyone who sells you a bill of goods on any vaccine, drug, anything that's 100% safe is not really looking at all the facts. So I'm not here to mm-hmm. say that there's no risk to anything, but the risk versus the benefit to vaccines far outweighs any wild-type infection that's out there. Now, mm-hmm. the, the other thing as well to think about is there are cases where wild-type infection or an infection that you get from, you know, not the vaccine that you might pick up from someone else, it actually doesn't confer immunity in all cases. Things like tetanus, diphtheria, pertussis, even measles has been shown to not develop immunity in people who get these diseases. Measles especially, because of what it does, it actually infects all the white blood cells and it's very good at preventing its own immune forming, uh, immunity forming against itself. This is why you've heard about people having measles multiple times in their life because the virus itself actually prevents immunity from forming and has a much higher rate of death and long-term issues that may be developed from it. Mark, uh, talk about what the vaccine does in response to what the virus does so that people can understand the difference. Sure. So if we have, we have a lot of different kinds of vaccines. We have some that are just a protein that we use that helps us build antibodies against a certain protein. And that might knock out something that the bacteria makes that might be toxic to us. It might be something that helps antibodies bind to a virus or to a bacteria and it prevents it from infecting it. So really the antibodies become the first line. Again, those can develop at times from natural immunity, but you have to go through the disease to actually get that immunity. And so you're, whereas with a vaccine, you're generally not going to be contracting the disease in order to be immune to it. There are certain vaccines that are the the live attenuated vaccines that we typically use for viruses more than anything. So measles, mumps, rubella, uh, varicella for chickenpox. What these are is a weakened virus. Uh, They typically have to have at least three alterations to them so that they will grow just a little bit in our body, but they will generally not cause a full disease. in some cases, you know, if we do give these to immunocompromised patients, there could be issues. Mm-hmm. This is why any practitioner who's giving these will be properly screening patients so that they're not administering them to someone who is immunocompromised or has a low immune system. But in general, they're there to elicit the same immune response that we would get from a wild type or a natural virus with a much lower risk of actually contracting the disease. Does it... Um well, when this happens, when uh, when a doctor is giving someone a vaccine shot mm-hmm. and that person gets sick, is that part of the reason like they're m- maybe immunocompromised or is it just one of the results of getting this uh, vaccine? So my first question would be define sick. Well, I mean, like they get flu or whatever. Okay, so let's talk yeah. about flu because we're coming up on flu season. Yes, flu uh, virus, we just. Yeah retrained a bunch of students. I gave myself my flu shot as I do almost every year. Mm. Um, Flu vaccine, aside from the nasal vaccine that is still available, any injectable flu vaccine is a completely dead piece of a virus. 
-hmm. It's a protein where they've grown the, the virus and they just purify a single protein from the cell wall of that bacteria right. or the membrane of that bacteria. There's nothing in a flu shot that can make you sick. Hmm. Now, could you feel a little funky for a couple days? Absolutely, because your body might recognize that protein as something foreign and it may elicit an immune response to it, which is what we want it to do. But as part of that, you may get a little interferon release, which is going to make you feel a little achy, maybe even give you a little bit of a fever. Right. Um, I can tell you for three days my arm was sore uh, <laughs> because the local immune response to that protein that was put into my deltoid right. made it a little sore, a little inflamed. Yeah, to touch it even hurt, to move my arm a little bit hurt, but I knew that was the immune response happening. Now let's think about this on a larger scale than just an individual. If we're vaccinating millions of people every year in this very short time period, when by the way, we typically have a lot of colds, maybe even enteroviruses that come around which may cause the stomach flu, which is a horrible thing to call it because it's not anything related to influenza. Mm -hmm. But we have all of these things that might be occurring at the same time. Even the common cold may be occurring at the same time. So if you give someone a vaccine and they develop a cold, they were probably already infected with it at the time of vaccination. And it was just a coincidental overlap of these two events. There's no causation there. Uh, the real reality of this is let's say we're giving somebody even an, a live vaccine. Because that live vaccine is activating the immune system, I would actually expect them to be less likely to get any kind of viral illness within about two to three weeks after it because the immune system is fighting off viral infections at that point. Right. This is why we have to space out if we're not giving vaccines on the same day. We have to space them out because our own immune system will inactivate some of these live vaccines. So it's not a safety issue. It's a efficacy issue with these vaccines and we can give multiple vaccines all at the same time because our immune system sees everything very differently it's like looking at a just the outside of something and it's seeing each little thing is a different colored pathogen that it's going to attack so this one looks green this one looks blue this one looks red and it's not getting confused by them right one thing you know that in, in hearing you talk and the same issue has been brought up to me you talk, I talk, we talk to physicians, um, um, I talk to um, payers, um, uh, sure. government people, etc. But the real question is, is the people who are getting it and who's talking to them. Right. You uh, work for GSK. Uh, when we first had you, you were um, a full professor at, at um, UOP. My question here is, is GSK and other companies that... Um, make vaccines and all, what are they doing to educate the public and all? We're talking to professionals. Sure. So it's one thing where we talk to a professional where they're asking for what's the science behind it, what's the information that you have, what do I need to know, etc. What about the public? Because that's where the anti-vax world seems to be. Sure. Clearly, there are some physicians and others who seem to follow that logic for whatever reason. But Who's doing that? Are the companies doing it? Are professional organizations doing it? Who's doing it? You know, I think really what makes the difference, and this is what made the difference for me, um, I hate shots. 
I don't know anyone that likes shots. Um, and especially if you have to bring your kids in. I mean, I have two little girls that it's a fight every year, but it's I try not to look at the necessity. No. I only look at it when I'm doing it. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't look at it either. Uh, it's kind of hard to do it with your eyes closed if you're giving yourself a shot. But really, I think the key thing here is to recognize evidence versus anecdote. Um, and I'll tell you, I've heard some horrible stories that are true that people get a shot and something bad happens. And yeah, there are some vaccines that can cause some bad things. I mean, one in a million chance that you're gonna get an anaphylactic or allergic reaction to a vaccine. Mm. That's not something you want any patient to go through. And is it real? Yes, it's real. It's very rare, but it's a real risk, just like it is for any oral medication we take. Mm -hmm. I think the real key is generating evidence that we can give to providers, doctors, pharmacists, nurses, and teaching them how to actually communicate that effectively to their patients. There's a lot out there. I mean, I get tagged on stuff at social media all the time, and it's typically an anecdotal medicine or an anecdotal report of something happening. And in some cases, it's just people making stuff up. That are so common. Or they're saying this happened with this. And I mean, and then sometimes there's motivation and other things. We look at the whole measles issue that started up 30 years ago now, it seems like, or Mm -hmm. somewhere in that range. The article that everybody says started it all had nothing to do with vaccination. It had to do with GI abnormalities in children with autism had nothing to do with vaccines. There was one comment in there, the article was retracted, uh, and it only involved less than 20 patients with no control group in it whatsoever. The main author was actually getting paid to testify against the MMR vaccine and all of these other things. So there was monetary motivation in that. And what we see in most of the studies that are out there now is we're looking at tens to hundreds of thousands of people getting vaccines we're not seeing any issues let, i mean let's even talk about a flu shot we're, we're giving millions of people a flu shot every year not just in the u.s but around the world and we're doing it every year and we're reporting on the safety and the real world effectiveness of that medication right. every year what drug out there has that level of oversight and study compared to even a simple flu shot. That's why, I mean, I if anybody says, what are you going to argue for or anything else, I'm going to argue for a flu shot. Sure. Because there's so much data out there on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, measles, polio are probably right up there as well because of how devastating they can be and how quickly and just how much they can spread and how hard they are to control after they get going. You know, it, yeah. it was um, interesting that you brought up the that we're talking about actually vaccines because there was about some states not making it required for their children to go into schools like it is over here in in California and Los Angeles, LAUSD, they require your children to be vaccinated before entering into the school. Correct. So how, how are these states coming to that conclusion that their child does not need to be vaccinated, especially when they're among kids and we all know kids are 
germs everywhere. Vectors of disease. <laughs> my wife yeah, did not yeah. believe me until yeah. we had them. And then that's a good way to put it. I'm gonna write that down. I'm gonna say that for my wife. <laughs> so, Look at these little vectors of diseases over here. So, I, I think the the evidence has become overwhelming. Right. And I think the risk benefit so heavily favors the beneficial side of vaccines now mm-hmm. that it, it's pretty clear. Now, this can be spun a lot of different ways because you get people on both sides of the political spectrum that say this is government meddling in family business, our own personal lives, those kinds of things. And I, I see that. And mm-hmm. my, my wife and I actually had a lively debate several years back about HPV vaccine. Because what is HPV labeled as it's labeled as an std this fact an std is sexually transmitted disease and so there was concern about giving this to kids that they might become more promiscuous that we were overriding a parental's ability or parents ability to choose what they should do for their child and again what we're seeing now is herd immunity and it's not based on a sexually transmitted disease this is a anti-cancer vaccine we're preventing cancer Mm-hmm. from developing in these kids and cervical cancer is not something you would wish on anyone among all the cancers that are out there this is not the one you would want to so get. there are some cancers to wish on people <laughs> well this would not be one of them maybe yeah. a little, little you know basal cell those are easy to take care of that, that would be much more mild than say cervical cancer but what we're seeing is that a vaccine is preventing cancer not just in the vaccine recipients but this is where it comes back to the herd immunity in people that even aren't vaccinated now the question remains is there are some people who cannot be vaccinated they are those people that get very severe allergic reactions to vaccines let's think of measles of pertussis of hpv even a whole host of them or maybe kids that unfortunately have developed cancer, have developed autoimmune disease, mm-hmm. have developed other conditions that prevent them from either getting vaccines or even being able to mount an immune response. The only way to protect them is with herd immunity. Mm-hmm. The only way to protect them in schools so that these kids that might be going to chemo a couple times a week or have already had multiple surgeries and they're just entering grade school the only way to allow them to stay there is if the people around them actually protect them by getting vaccinated. And so there is a social responsibility component to this that I think we as a society have forgotten about. Because yeah. when the polio vaccine came out, even after the Cutter incident where there were some cases of people actually getting polio from the vaccine, people still wanted it. They would take a chance with that versus the risk of getting it naturally because they knew so many people who were being permanently paralyzed by this virus. There was no coming back from it. And it's because you can see it. The people that are suffering from it are there in front of you. So they're like, yes, give me the vaccine. But now we haven't seen it in so long. Well, the one thing, the other thing we need to address here, though, some of (laughs) it. Yeah, old people like you. Well, I mean, um, I wasn't, I wasn't inferring. <laughs> um, um, uh, but we need to we need to separate the herd immunity concept is terribly important, absolutely crucial. Yeah. But we also have these communities where we have a herd in a relatively 
walled-off community Correct. who are anti-vaccinations, and as a result of that, the herd immunity yeah. does not occur. Correct. It's just big government, man. <clears throat> you know. Well, I mean, it happened. <laughs> well, it happened in religious communities. Yeah. They talked about it in New York, in, in, in New York, in Brooklyn, and Jewish community, and all that. But it's now happening in Minnesota, in Somali immigrant communities, and other places that have immigrated specifically in the Minnesota area. The anti-vaccine group just pummeled them with misinformation. And what did we see? We saw a massive rise in measles in immigrant populations wow. and refugee populations that were coming here for something better. They came here and they got measles. What is the wow. religious argument that has occurred? It certainly happened in Christians, happened in Jewish community, happened in Amish community. And they, what is the religious argument against vaccines? What, what, why, why is there a religious argument at all? Some of the religious arguments just stem from, I don't want a vaccine, and that's my religion. Hmm. Uh, there's actually yeah, very sense. there's very few religions that actually prevent vaccination. Right. Um, some arguments could be made that if they're from a human, that there are certain groups that do not want other human products being used on them. That includes blood transfusions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some that have an issue with the original cell lines that were used were from elective abortions and their fetal tissue or stem cells that were used to actually do this. And to be honest, right. I do have an issue with that one. Um, that's a hard one to wrap my mind around. And there's been a lot of talk in the last couple of years about this because how do we get away from this? How can we completely separate ourselves from what has come from that? And I mean, this is true for even the the thing that I point out is that this is true for almost all medicine as well. Yeah. Uh, there are many drugs that were originally tested in things like the HeLa cells, which everybody probably knows. It, you probably didn't read the book, but you watched the movie. Uh, <laughs> these were from Henrietta Lacks. They're a cervical cancer neoplasm or cancer that was able to be cultured and was some of our first cell cultures that were ever used. And almost every drug that is on the market, I actually don't know of any drug that wouldn't first be tested in cell culture before it goes to animal, before it goes to human. And so any medicine, not just vaccines, but any medicine may fall in that same category. I don't believe that vaccines are different they're just a preventative medicine that we have. It's yeah. no different than taking a daily aspirin or whatever meds people take for prevention. It's just you might need one shot every so often. It's the same idea. But what I have seen a shift to is there are options in a lot of these cases where there may be two versions of a vaccine. One may be in a human cell culture, grown in human culture, one may be grown in a different culture. It might be in chicken. It might be in an insect uh, type of cell culture. It might be grown in yeast. So there's all there's a lot more options that are available right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I point out is, while I don't agree with where it came from, the relative benefit that we have received from that, it is very difficult 
again, if we're looking at risk benefit right. or cost benefit, um, I don't agree with how it was obtained, mm -hmm. but the benefit that has come from it is remarkable. And we're yeah, talking about think, millions uh, of yeah. deaths averted across the world and billions of cases averted across the world is pretty remarkable. Well, with as fast as it spread when it, when it was first introduced, I mean, you said half of Europe was nearly wiped out with polio, right? No, not well, polio. Smallpox. No, smallpox. smallpox did smallpox. some damage. Um, they, they're pretty sure there was a fixed percent of the world population in the early 1900s that was killed from the first pan the one of the big pandemic flus that came around yeah um there, there have been outbreaks of this nature i mean even uh, i mean you think about things like yellow fever in tropical areas you think about things like dengue that we finally have the first vaccine for hmm. uh, these are things that decimate populations and they continue to i mean even things like malaria we, we hear maybe we hear about malaria ebola i don't weird. know there's another ebola outbreak but at the same time, 10 to 100 times the number of people are dying of malaria every year that are dying from these focal outbreaks of this stuff. So I think we are a little deafened to these yeah. diseases because in the West especially, we're not seeing a lot of them. Yeah. And, and the question that you brought up, um, when he answered it as far as the religious arguments against some of the science that's come out. A lot of religions are of the mindset that I'm going to be protected. I have this shield around me that God put on around me, and I'm going to be protected. I don't really need the vaccine. Well, so here's it's, the, it's, here's, it's, it's, it's scary to think about it. Yeah, but here's the fundamental argument here, and that is I want to protect myself, mm -hmm. and I have a right to protect myself. And that we understand that argument. But as soon as my right influences somebody else, then we have a real problem because yeah. my right has now influenced what happens to Mark, what happens to you, what happens to him, what happens to a lot of people. Now I've lost my right yeah. because I've taken my, my right, my responsibility, and I've influenced others. I, I, I think that, um, M, let's make sure that we attach what I did in Pharmacy Benefit News because I talked about the history of this whole autism uh, argument uh, with regard to vaccines, and that's yeah. that's there in it. But Good I job, think man. that we need. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think it's terribly important that we address this issue because we have a conflict here between science and between opinion, uh, whatever. I call it anecdotal medicine versus evidence-based medicine is what it comes down to. Hashtag that. Well, but, you know, I, I was explaining this to, I, I, I say this often to students, is a lot of times with vaccinations, we're looking at the population, but we still have to consider the individual in that. Um, and this, a lot of times, this is for giving a vaccine, even when it's not a routine vaccine, but it might benefit that patient specifically mm -hmm. to receive an additional vaccine. It's typically not withholding, it's typically giving additional vaccines that are permissive but not absolutely recommended and we would actually over vaccinate versus under vaccinate to protect that individual when on the population level it actually wouldn't provide any benefit so it's not normally a safety argument it's normally a benefit to the individual 
versus a benefit to the population. So right. the, the recommendations are actually less worried about the individual and looking at the population. And in doing that, there are some recommendations that say you are allowed to give this if you want, or you can just give this other vaccine that will provide some of the same immunity to that. So an example of this would be uh, the Tdap vaccine, which mm -hmm. gives tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. There's only one recommended for your entire adult lifespan right now. Right. Well, what do we know in California? We still have a pertussis outbreak here. And while at the population level, the pertussis in that isn't effective enough to last the entire 10 years, and so it's not cost-effective to vaccinate the entire population. But they leave a caveat in there that says, if the patient and clinician decide that it would be beneficial to give it, you may give that every 10 years instead of just the tetanus diphtheria booster. So again, we're not looking at restricting vaccine. We're looking at potential additional benefit to the individual. Right. Um, you know, they, I, I have a lot of discussions with patients who come to me and say they want this, but not this vaccine. So for instance, I had a patient that years ago who said, I want the shingles vaccine that was available at that time. And I said, great. And I said, how about a flu shot? And she goes, I don't believe in those. And I said, well, why? And she said, well, I've heard a lot of stuff about it. And I just said, well, but you're getting this vaccine. Why aren't you getting the other vaccine that will actually be more likely to prevent a deadly disease versus one that will just cause pain and suffering? I'm more concerned about preventing death in my patients with vaccines. And she was a cancer survivor at that point as well. She'd had breast cancer. And I said, I'm not making any money on what you're doing right now today. It doesn't matter to me. But I do want you to know it would be more important for you to get your flu shot than it would be to get this other vaccine when we're talking about life and death. And I'd hate for a cancer survivor to die of influenza. And I think we need to, uh, um, let me just make this a little bit more general because the issue is conflict of there's science, but I don't believe it or I don't trust it, etc. The same science principles, methodology, is being used whether you're concerned about asteroids, whether you're concerned about a comet coming by, whether you're concerned about climate change, whether you're concerned about I mean, okay, are, extraterrestrials. Those are serious. Yeah, <laughs> definitely things. have to get extraterrestrials. <laughs> M, M, blank that out with regard to Alex. Um, uh, issues with regard to healthcare. Vaccinations certainly, but a host of other healthcare um, uh, discussions and dilemma about it. Fundamentally, this issue is asking: um, there's science here, but I don't believe it, or I think my personal agenda is more important than that. And we have to address this in a larger uh, respect and realize that this whole issue and what we're talking about is for those of us who um, are, are scientists, believe in science, and deal with it. It's not an argument, there's nothing to talk about. But for those who don't believe it, there has to be a discussion about why don't you believe it and you believe one thing, but you don't believe the other. You right. may believe hurricanes and tornadoes and the science and the methodology behind that, but then you won't believe the science that deals with, with uh, uh, disease, that deals with, with other things. Fundamentally, I, I think we'd all be um, helped if the world took a look at some real pictures of what polio looked like, what typhus looked like, 
what smallpox looked like, <laughs> what even the measles epidemic of today looks like, and people that went relatively crazy over bird flu and all of that in what goes on and understand if you if you don't believe the science then this is the world that you're talking about and this is the world that you're going to inhabit but let's think about the social discourse that we have to deal with um we have individuals that are considered to be experts with no expertise who make commentary and provide opinion on things that are just their own beliefs that are not backed by evidence. And yet those are taken and used as evidence. We have people that can give you a very convincing, emotionally charged, pulling on your heartstrings argument that actually has no factual information whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it will persuade change. We'll have people that instead of arguing facts, will just get upset and angry and louder and meaner and start name calling right. instead of just sitting down and discussing it. So I always bring vaccines back and I, I ask people, what is, why don't you do this? Many of them have friends or friends of friends that had some reaction to it. And the reaction is, in some cases, it's coincidental. In some cases, it is tragic. And you have to empathize with that and say, wow, I'm sorry. That is horrible that that happened. What it shows in all, though, is that it's a very rare case. That is not what happens to the majority. You will get some people that will tout that single one in a million chance of something as a reason not to do it because they don't want their that happening to their child. Yet what they don't realize is they're making even riskier decisions about everything else they're doing. Uh, I mean, when, when I remember the statistic when we had our, our first daughter, they said you're more likely to die in a car accident getting to the hospital than anything happening to mom or baby during childbirth. Those are the real statistics of what we live in. And yet we neglect certain things, but we choose to focus on a one in a million chance, which most people, there's been studies done that actually show people don't know how to interpret odds very well either. Um, And hence, thank you, Las Vegas and lottery and all these (laughs) other things have thrived. Um, But But you're saying there's a chance. But look how good our (laughs) schools have done with the lottery. I mean, there's got to be some benefit there, right? Because of all the money that's gone to schools. Um, Yeah, there's a chance. Um, But, you know, they say, well, I'm never going to be eaten by a shark if I don't go in the water. Well, that's true, actually. That is true. True statement. (laughs) True statement. My father used to joke about um, about, um, uh, tiger powder. And he said, um, you take it and you sprinkle it um, on the front door and you'll never have a tiger coming to you. And the, and the question was, that's ridiculous. And he says, have you seen a tiger? Have you seen <laughs> a tiger? I've been no. doing it every day. And I mean, that's the kind of anecdotal <laughs> evidence that is, yes, but there are, there's nothing here. But I think the ultimate thing that you guys are touching on is our society, sadly, is all emotion-based. Yes. It's all emotion. And whether you're arguing facts, whether you're arguing something you just believe in, you have to touch on their emotions. Otherwise, they're going to 
swayed to whatever they believe. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very sad because you mentioned um you mentioned images and to showing them the actual results of not getting vaccinated, what it can do to you and what it can do to our society would actually probably touch on their emotions rather than saying, you know, you're gonna you're gonna get this at whatever odds. Or you may not be sick, but you may transmit it to somebody who will die from it. Yeah. So you know, the, the imagery is funny because if you think about mm-hmm. how we promote, I, I've I've had a beef with this for years. I have I have a lot of issues, as you can tell. Well, what do you, we're not going to touch on those. Every time <laughs> there is an article about vaccination or a vaccine preventable disease, mm-hmm. what do you see? You see a picture of some horse needle. <laughs> going into some kid that's screaming or variations of that and the funny thing is i normally bring these up if i'm doing any kind of training and talk about all the things they're doing wrong in this picture because it's a staged picture by people that don't know what they're doing in general Mm -hmm. but when was the last time you saw a picture of what a knee surgery looks like yet people do it how about liposuction or body sculpting whatever it is they don't show you the process they show you the outcome and so I agree with the imagery, but I think most medical, pharmacy, anything that's promoted vaccines has done a poor job because no one likes a shot. I hate shots. I hate getting shots. But the benefit of them is critical to maintaining our health. So let's get proper imagery and show people like some of the commercials that tout some antiviral and antibacterial medicines where they're riding bikes and they're playing outdoors. It's nothing about the disease or how they got it. It's about what they can now do because of it. Or about a happy doctor showing a happy kid. A happy kid like, hey, look at it. Hey, he wasn't that bad? Wasn't that bad? Yeah, lollipop. <laughs> Easy, right? Hey, I, I, I got a treat. 1950s advertisements like lollipop. Yeah. But I mean, even then it was, yeah. hey, I don't want to be in an iron lung. That's exactly. a pretty good ad. Yeah. Which is a good way to finish this and uh, to thank you yeah. for coming to talk about it, uh, for uh, having the discussion and the give and take. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll have you back uh, soon so we can talk about some other issues as we go into flu season and others, things that people need to think about, etc. Because everybody, patients are constantly saying to me, well, I got the flu shot, but I still got a cold. Um, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, well, or, pay attention in health class, people. Come on. <laughs> or, or importantly, there has been uh, and reported in a host of, of our clients and others where there's been outbreaks of uh, pneumonia and people have yeah. ended up uh, in the hospital with pneumonia. My wife, Carol, who's a nurse, um, was one of those. But, um, you know, we have to take the reality, understand what we've done, and then understand that there's still more work to do. We haven't solved it, and everybody's going to live a long time. And then maybe the next time you come back, we can talk about the sudden um, increase in medieval diseases that are coming out right now. I mean, there's a... I don't know what your expertise is on that, but there's some... Just not hitting the news (laughs) as much as it normally is. We've had... 
plague leprosy all kinds of stuff around for a long time it's just not been picked up as much oh uh, no okay. again this is so this i'm is, just getting this is a factor I'm just getting of media caught up. this is a factor of media attention you're not hearing yeah. about people dying from malaria but you might hear about the ebola outbreak when way more people are still dying of malaria yeah so it depends on your filter that you're getting your information or we hear a lot about hiv but we don't hear how many people died of malaria so it's not good or bad. Nobody's arguing that. Just different it's just information. Information about what goes on around the world. Malaria is a huge killer. It's very interesting. Maybe we should cover that next. I mean, you're going to be around for a while, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's it for today. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, go to ProPharmaConsultants.com. We have a free information page called RxInfoX that has. A plethora of healthcare articles that are available plethora. today. Plethora, you've yes. got that yes. word. Yes, wow. I have professors here. Wow, so that's I gotta... impressive. That's a good word to use. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we also have a ticker that shows the most updated acquisition prices for some of the more common drugs being used today. And um, anything else? Like no, that? I think that'll do it. Dr. Mark Wahlberg, you wanna? Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's it for today. We'll see you next week.